that if you have not done so already, that you'll go by the back table there and pick up one of these prayer cards. I would appreciate it if you would pray for me every now and then. I would be greatly, greatly blessed. I know I also like to tell churches this is, this is a great diet plan. Most people put their prayer cards on the refrigerator door with magnets. If my picture's on your refrigerator door, you'll be less apt to go there. So what a great diet plan for you. And, uh, but uh, my contact information is on the back, and including my webpage. If ever you want to know where I am, my calendar is back there. I'm booking about two to three years uh, in advance, and the Lord continues to open doors for which I am so very thankful. And uh, I, uh, you know, we, we were talking about David Livingston dying, you know, on the field. That's kind of how I want to go. I'm asked all the time, especially as I'm getting older, do I ever plan on retiring? The answer is no, I do not plan on retiring. I want to pass away preaching and uh, or playing my trumpet just collapse dead. That's kind of how I'd like to go. But uh, thank you for this week, folks. Thank you for letting me come. I have thoroughly enjoyed the fellowship, especially with your pastor and his dear wife. They have been so very hospitable. I hope you pray for them all the time. And what a, what a great couple that you have here leading you. And I, I really have enjoyed getting to know them better this week. And, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you so very much for letting me come. And uh, it has been a treat to be here in Rochester, New Hampshire. And I hope the Lord has blessed you and I hope he'll bless you tonight for being here. Um, let's get into it, shall we? Grab your Bible with me, would you please? And I want you to go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and if you've got a King James Bible here tonight, I want you to, to say four words out loud at the beginning of our verse, okay? Luke, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1. I was in Philippians chapter 1 on Sunday night, as some of you may remember. But I'm going to take you to earlier in the chapter, and as you'll recall... There seems to be some kind of special, unique relationship between Paul and the church at Philippi. He absolutely adores these people. They adore him. And uh, one of the purposes of this letter is to thank them for uh, sending him a love gift while he was there as a prisoner in Rome. And, but in, I'd like you to look at verse number 9 tonight together. Could we please? Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 9. And when I count to three, would you please give me out loud the first Four words of verse number nine. Are you ready? One, two, three. Okay, would you look at me, please? What you're about to read, people, is you're about to read how Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. And could I take that a step further? I believe it's how he would pray for your church. Oh, let me take it even further. I believe that's how God would want you to pray for this church. And I realize that we pray a lot about physical needs and we pray a lot about financial needs and there's nothing wrong with that. But what's interesting, people, is that Paul never ever in his ministry ever asked for prayer for physical needs or prayer for church growth. His prayer requests always revolved around seeing saints grow. And you'll see that here in just a moment. But what's interesting about this phrase, and this I pray, folks, let me tell you something about prayer. I want to just share with you something that maybe you've never thought of. Prayer is incredibly powerful. And nothing, I'm going I'm to give you a quote. Not, I'm quoting somebody else with what I'm about to say. But I love what he says, what this other preacher says when he says this. Nothing is more definitive in your life of true spirituality than the nature of your prayer life. Let me say that again because it's profound. Nothing 
in your life is more definitive of true spirituality than the nature of your prayer life. What is your prayer life like? And when you do pray, what do you pray about? What do you pray about for your church? What do you pray about for your own life? What, what, what is the nature? Folks, let me tell you something about prayer. You will be very hard-pressed to find any verse in the Bible that commands you to pray. You're going to find all kinds of verses that tell you how to pray, but you're going to be very hard-pressed to find a verse that commands you to pray. Let me tell you why. Prayer, people, is what we call compulsive. That's a fancy word that just means it's an inner desire that when you got saved, God gave you a desire. He gave you a hunger to pray. You see that displayed when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. When he met the Lord Jesus Christ and he got converted, the first thing you see him doing is fasting and praying for three days. I doubt anybody had to come into Paul's life and say, okay, now that you're a Christian, you probably should pray. Prayer is compulsory, people. It's a natural desire of your heart. And you want to know if you're really godly, if you want to know you're really spiritual, what is your prayer life like? If it's like most Christians, it's probably pretty much non-existent except for when it's time to pray over our meals. Prayer is so neglected. And what is so fascinating about this verse that we're going to look at together, church, is that Paul is going to share with you his heart and how he prayed for your church, how he prayed for churches. But prayer, people, is so incredibly powerful, and God wants all of us to be praying. It ought to be a, a, a desire of your heart. Young people, are you really saved? If you're really saved, there ought to be a desire to pray, to visit with God. But look at what Paul prays about. Could we read on there in verse number 9? He says, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all. Please say that next word out loud. Is it ever right for a Christian to judge? Is it ever right for a Christian to judge? Absolutely. In fact, you can be godly and not judge. But what this verse is telling us is that Paul's praying that their love and friends, have you ever heard this prayer request shared in your church? Uh, Pastor, could we pray tonight about just our ability as a church to love? You know, people, I feel like men, if, if you come here, please, men. I almost feel like I need to apologize to you because I'm going to talk about love. And when we talk about love, I realize I'm talking to Americans. And you've been lied to. You've been lied to by Hollywood. You've been lied to by the entertainment world. You've been lied to by the music industry. And when we talk about love, we automatically think, especially you men, oh, that's, that's kind of, you know, frills and chocolate and, 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 and butterflies and, and, you know, and uh, girly stuff and, uh, you know, romance. And, and, and friends, nothing could be further from the truth. That is not love. Now, there's nothing wrong with romance, people, and there's nothing wrong with attraction. That's not what I'm saying. But what I do want you to understand tonight, Christians, is that those dynamics, that area, has nothing to do with love. In fact, I'm going to make a couple of statements that are going to shock you, Americans. In fact, I'd like you, remember what you do when I do this? What do you do? You gasp. Remember how we do that? Can we practice? Let's practice. You ready? One, two, three. Very good. Okay, now get ready to do it for real, okay? I'm going to make a couple statements. Now, listen to me carefully because it's going to shock you, absolutely shock you. Love has nothing to do with romance. <laughs> nothing. I repeat, 
Love has nothing to do with romance. Americans, ladies, are you listening? Has nothing to do with romance. There's nothing wrong with romance. And romance can be involved in love. But love has nothing to do with romance. In fact, if you base your marriage on romance, it won't last. It won't last. That is not love, not the kind of love that God has commanded a man to give to his wife or a man and a woman to give to God. That's not the kind, that's not the kind of love that has nothing to do with romance. Let me share with you another one that's going to shock you. You ready? Love has nothing to do with feeling. <gasps> nothing. Now, your gasp is a little too feminine, okay? You need to get rid of that. that you can get rid of the falsetto, okay? Just gasp. Just, just air. No, no falsetto, okay? I, I have to give private lessons every now and then, okay? But uh, love has nothing to do with feeling. Nothing. Friend, now, now, feeling may be involved. Your feeling may get involved when you're, when you're loving something, but it has nothing. Folks, love has nothing to do with feeling. Nothing to do. I'm going to make another statement. You never, are you ready? You never, ever, ever fall in love. You may fall, that was better. <laughs> you may fall in attraction. You may fall in lust, but you never, ever fall in love. Now, people, let me tell you something about love. What is it? When we're talking about the kind of love that makes a marriage last, when we're talking about that kind of love that God has for your church, may I suggest to you that God does not love you because you're cute. God does not love you because you're attractive. Love is always what we call people. I'm going to use a big word on you, and then I'll explain it, okay? This is a great theological term. Love is always, true love is always what we call volitional. Volitional. Say that word out loud with me, would you please? Volitional. Now, let me tell you what that means. The word volitional means to choose. We get our word vote from the word volitional. It means to select something. True love, friends, is you choosing, you choosing to serve or meet the needs of that particular individual, that particular being. True love is always a love of choice. Always a love of choice. I choose. Now, friends, let me tell you what love is. Not only is it volitional, but let me tell you. I like what one former pastor of mine used to say to his congregation all the time. He used to say, people... You can serve without loving, but you can't love without serving. Love is you giving of your talents, your time, your efforts to meet someone else's need. That's love. Love is always all about people serving. This kind of love, people, is not natural. It is not humanly natural. Our flesh is always about what's in it for me. What do I get out of this? The world's form of love is always what do I get out of this relationship? That's the world's form. That is not godly. That's not the kind of love that will make a marriage last. That's not the kind of love that God says I want you to have for me. Friends, love is you seeing somebody having a need, including God. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Seeing a need 
and giving of your talents, your time, sacrificing of yourself to meet that need. That is love. And Paul's prayer request for Community Baptist Church is that your people's ability to serve each other and serve him is growing and growing and growing more every day. That is a sign of growth. That is a sign of maturity where your focus is getting more and more off yourself and to on to others. And, and you show me a mature Christian man, I'll show you a man who comes to church and they could care less whether the pastor said hello to them. They're all about meeting other people's needs. They could care less whether or not people were friendly to them. They're all about being friendly to others and getting into other people's life. They are totally unselfish in their outlook. Boy, isn't that a hard Christian to find. But friends, understand that love is always volitional. It's a love of choice. I choose to serve. I choose to give. I choose to meet that need. I'm going to give you an example. Years ago, I took my wife and my son to a restaurant. It's a, there's a restaurant chain. It's no longer open down south. But there used to be a restaurant chain down there called Fats. F-A-T-Z, fats. It's like a Applebee's, like a, like a Chili's. It's a great restaurant. It really was. A really good restaurant chain. And there might be still a few of them that are still open. But I, anyway, it was a Saturday afternoon, and I took my family to a fats not far from our home. And um, we said, the maitre d' took us to a table, and we sat down, and, and immediately a waitress came up to our table. And I could tell immediately this was going to be kind of fun because this waitress was one of those rarest exceptions where she had personality. She was friendly. I'm going to guess she was in her early 20s. Her name was Wendy. And Wendy came up to our table and she said, Hello, folks. Good afternoon to you. What can I bring? My name is Wendy. What can I bring you to drink? I said, Wendy, my name is Mike, and that's Lori, and that's Drew. She took a step back and she said, Well, hello, Mike. Hello, Lori. Hello, Drew. What can I bring you to drink? I said, Wendy, I would like eight Coca-Colas, please. She said, You want eight Coca-Colas? I said, Yes, please. I said, Wendy, did you hear about the guy that drank eight Coca-Cola? She said, no. I said, he burped seven up. <laughs> Some of you will get that tomorrow. But uh, Wendy was incredibly sharp, and she immediately got it. And she laughed. She said, she said, that is good. I'm going to use that. I heard her telling another table about two minutes later the same joke. But let me tell you what, and friends, before I go further with this illustration, perhaps I need to say this. I am not hitting on this young lady. I'm not flirting. What's going to happen is I'm going to leave her a track. And I just want her to know that people who give out godly track can be friendly. We can be personable. We can be fun. I think some of you need to work at that. We can be fun. We can be friendly. We can be outgoing. I just wanted Wendy to know that. And I, and I did leave her a track, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But let me tell you what happened. Wendy liked us. She really did. She gave us great service. One of the best waitresses I've ever had. I even got a free dessert out of the deal. It pays to be obnoxious. I, I got a, she gave us great service. And I left her a good tip, and I left a track. And, and uh, as we were leaving, I happened to look back through the glass doors. I looked back in the kitchen. I saw Wendy in the kitchen. She was standing there reading that track. But the reason I share that with you, friends, is because I got a question for you. Did Wendy give us great service because she loved us? No. Why did she give us good service? Why? You nailed it. Money. 
she wanted a good tip. And she deserved a good tip. And folks, could I just stop there for a moment and go down a rabbit trail? You tightwads, I have had waitresses tell me over and over again they hate working on Sundays because church people don't tip, yet they leave a track. Ah! Don't do that. You're hurting our cause. Tip the poor things. Don't be such a tightwad. But anyway, why did Wendy give us good service? Because she wanted a good tip. But yet people right across the table from me was another young lady, not so young as Wendy, who has waited on me hand and foot, all because 41 years ago, she stood on a platform with me in front of hundreds of people, all of whom were there to see her. She stood on a platform and she said publicly, I am choosing to serve this idiot. Now, she didn't say that in so many words, but that's kind of what was implied. She publicly declared that she was going to serve me, love me, and she's done a phenomenal job, a phenomenal job. You know why? She chose. She chose to serve this. Folks, that's the ultimate level of love. That's the kind of love that God wants you to have for each other and, more importantly, for him. So could I ask this question? Do you really love? Are you really, are you really a Christian that loves? If you are, what are you doing? Love is not something you have. Love is something you do, Christians. It's an action dynamic. What are you doing that shows that you are loving each other? What are you doing that shows that you love God? What are you doing? Friends, what are you doing? I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you're a church member. I don't care if you're married, single. I don't care if you're rich or poor. What, what do, nobody cares. What, what, what is so important to us tonight is what are you doing? What shows in your life that you're in love with God and that you're in love with each other? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one for another. How in the world are you people waiting on each other? How are you serving each other? And by the way, people, you can't serve each other if you stay home from church. That's the ultimate of selfishness. God wants you here waiting on each other, getting in each other's lives and encouraging each other and provoking one another unto love and good works. That is a healthy, mature church. And God is so longing through the Apostle Paul that you would pray that God would help you to have a love that grows and goes. You're getting better and better at serving and sacrificing. You just become a more godly, unique, serving, loving church. That ought to be your prayer, church, that we're growing in our ability to serve. That's what it's all about, people. That's what it's all about. Well, let me just make sure you understand that it is possible to love and give to the wrong causes. My grandfather was one of them. My grandfather got saved late in life by watching Billy Graham on TV. And my grandfather was kind of wealthy. And he started giving money after he got saved. He started giving money to Benny Hinn. He was sending money to Benny Hinn. I don't know how much you know about Benny Hinn, but let me summarize his ministry. He hates you. He would make fun of your pastor. He would make fun of me. Benny Hinn is a real, solid antichrist. 
He is promoting a doctrine that is unbiblical. He is totally used of Satan. And my grandfather, because he wasn't too smart, he wasn't too wise, was giving money, which, by the way, my friend, is a form of love because money represents time. My grandfather was giving money to Benny, and I used to say, Grandpa, what are you doing? That's my inheritance. Stop it. <laughs> well, friends, let me make sure you understand what Paul's about to say. Our love, men, are you listening? Our love is controlled by two dynamics. And Paul tells you what they are there in verse 9. Would you read on, please? Look at verse 9. He says, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in all knowledge. Would you look at me, please? You know what that word knowledge means? The word knowledge means a deep experiential experienced knowledge of knowing something very intimately. That's what that word knowledge means. Let, let me give you an example. I like to fly. I am fascinated by airplanes. I really am. My dad was an engineer for Boeing. Boeing helped to put me through college. My dad's a retired engineer for Boeing. I was raised around commercial aircraft. I love to fly. I love flying. I'm not a pilot, but I love flying. And I was at my home church many years ago, and after Sunday school was over, a man in the church, a friend of mine, came up to me and slapped a computer game in my hand. He said, here, Brother Mike, I want you to have this. He said, it's kind of difficult. It's kind of, kind of tricky. I don't really like it, but I know you really would. And, and what he put in my hand, people, was a brand-new on-the-market computer game that was way expensive. There's no way I would have ever purchased it, and I was so tickled. But it was called Microsoft Flight Simulator. Brand new, it was brand new on the market. I thought, oh, John, thank you, thank you. It took all the discipline I could muster to stay in church until the service was over. But when the service got over and I made a beeline home and, and I went to my computer and I loaded that CD into my computer and, and let me tell you what the game does, people. Let me tell you what it does. It transforms your monitor into the cockpit of a Cessna 172. By default, and you can change the settings in the, in the game if you want, but by default, you're sitting at the end of the runway called Meg's Field in downtown Chicago. Off to the left at the Chicago skyline, you can see the John Hancock building, you can see the Sears Tower, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all there. And off to the right is Lake Michigan. You are sitting at the end of the runway. You are the pilot. Your engine is running, the prop is turning, and it's making an engine noise. And it will do that from now until eternity, until you, the pilot, do something. I didn't know what to do. I started mashing buttons. Nothing would happen. I got out the manual. It's a big, thick Bible. I got out the manual. It says, you need to release the brakes, idiot. Oh! And I immediately started taxiing down the runway, and before I could figure out how to do I was in the middle of Lake Michigan. My windshield was cracked. An error message came up saying, you have just crashed. Start over, moron. I started over, and I got out the manual and realized, oh, I, I had to do the flaps. And here's I, I, I practiced, and, I, and I, I, folks, I, I got so that I could take off, but I'm here to confess, hundreds of thousands of dollars are at the bottom of Lake Michigan, Mike Schrock learning how to fly. But I got good. I got good. I got so good I could fly that little Cessna between the skyscrapers. I can even do loops. That's illegal. You'll get put in prison if you do that. But I was doing it behind the buildings. And, and I, I mean, I got good. So I graduated myself to the next level in that particular edition, a Learjet. Whoa. Millions of dollars. Lake Michigan. <laughs> Learning how to fly a Learjet. But I got good. 
I graduated myself to the ultimate level in that particular edition, a Boeing 737. My dad would be so proud. A Boeing 737, billions of dollars, bottom of Lake Michigan. My learning how to fly a 737, but I got good. I got real good. I got so good that I could take off from any airport in America and fly to any airport in America under any kind of conditions, night, day, fog, wind, storms, blizzard, whatever. I got good. I understood navigation. I understood communications. I understood the flaps. I understood landing gear. I got good. I mean, I got good. What a valuable use of time. I can sit you down in a cockpit, my friend, and I can tell you, I did this recently with an F-15 Fighting Eagle. I can sit you down in the cockpit and I can tell you, well, that does this and this does that and that does that and that does this. I got good. Now I got a question. Would there be somebody here who would like to maybe just kind of go in with me and we'll rent together a Cessna 172? I would love to get pictures of your church from the air I'll fly the airplane, you take pictures. Any volunteers? It's, yeah, it's always, it's always teenagers, yeah. <laughs> and uh, everybody knows that teenagers, they're not real people yet, you know. They, uh, they, they, their skylight leaks a little bit, you know. The, 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 ham, the, the, the wheel is turning, but often the hamster is gone, you know. But, uh, but no, nobody in their right mind would go flying with me because what do I lack, people? Experience, thank you, sir. Experience. The word knowledge, people, in verse number nine, means not just to know about flying, but to actually have experience. That's what the word knowledge means. And what it's talking about there is that as a Christian, you have learned the Bible and you know what it is to have the Bible work in your life and you know what it has, you know what it's like to have the Bible bring conviction to your life and you know what it's like to be blessed by obeying the Bible and having the Bible come to bear on your life. My friends, you're experienced. You know what the Bible says and you obey the Bible. That's the kind of knowledge we're talking about. And Paul is praying, church, that your love your ability to serve is controlled by what you know from your experience in the Bible. You're all about the Bible. Could I get an amen? You're all about the Bible. But he says, I want, I want it to be called by in all knowledge and judgment. And judgment. Let me tell you what that word judgment means. That word judgment comes from the same word we get aesthetics from. Do you know what aesthetics means? Aesthetics is kind of your ability to, to enjoy the finer things of life. Kind of the, 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 the elements that are, that are kind of uh, more minor, but bring much more fruit and much more meaning to whatever it is we're involved in. That's what aesthetics are. Let me, let me give you an illustration. I have a master's degree in music. And because of that, over the last decades, I have gotten phone calls that go like this. Mr. Schrock? We are going to be having a music contest in our Christian school here in this state of New Hampshire. And we're looking for somebody that would come up and listen to our brass people and, and would just kind of evaluate their, as these young people come and they perform a memorized solo for you, that you would kind of critique them and, and write comments on their comment sheet and we'll pay for your gas and we'll pay for your time. Could you uh, perhaps help us, you know, uh, in, in two months on, on Friday, you know, uh, March the 13th? Could you, could you do that? I'll be glad to. 
And so let me tell you what happens. That March the 13th rolls around and I go to that, that Christian school or wherever it might be, might be a church, and, and I'll go to a room that they've assigned me to and, and I will, I will, they, they, have a, they have a table in the back of the room set up for me with a chair and, and a couple of number two pencils and all just a stack of uh, comment sheets. And each comment sheet has a different name on it where that student has been assigned that they're going to play their trombone solo or they're going to play their trumpet solo at 1010, and I'm going to listen to it. They'll have, they have it memorized. They'll have piano accompaniment, and I've got their music back there because they were required to give me a copy of their music, and I have a whole stack and a schedule, of and each performer's allowed 15 minutes, and, and I sit back there at the table, and let me, tell you, let me demonstrate to you what happens. We'll just pretend that little Johnny, little Johnny's a 10th grader, He's a, he's a trumpet player. He's been playing for a number of years. And Johnny comes in, and, and uh, he's got a coat and tie on. You know, he's looking pretty sharp as a performer ought to look. And he's got his trumpet, and he's been assigned to 1010. And he gets in there. He's on time. And, and I finish my comment sheets from the previous performer, and I nod to him. I say, okay, Johnny, go ahead. Johnny then announces to everybody in the room, his mom's there, his dad's there, his girlfriend's there, his friends are there. He announces, my name is Johnny Smith. And I would like to play for you Concert Etude by Alexander Godeke. Very famous number, by the way, for trumpets. I hope you play it someday, Emma. Concert Etude by Alexander Godeke. He then looks at this piano player and nods, and she starts that, or he starts that introduction, and Johnny starts to perform Concert Etude. I'm listening. I know it well, because I have a lot of knowledge. You hear me? I got a lot of knowledge. Got a lot of training. I know this piece really well. And I make comments like this. Johnny, in measure 14, where you have that double-tonguing section, make sure you don't speed up. You're rushing the tempo. Practice with a metronome. Johnny, in measure 44, your C-sharps are really sharp. You need to kick out your first valve slide to bring it into tune. Watch out for that. Johnny, in measure 66, you had a memory slip. Go over and over it, four times slow to one time fast. Johnny, in measure 88, you're really flat in the upper register. Make sure you support your sound with lots of air. I make comments like that in order to be helpful. Now, friends, you know what they call me? I have an official title. You know what it is? Judge. Judge. I'm a judge. Am I sinning against God when I do that? Absolutely not. What I'm doing is because of my knowledge, I'm able to discern the aesthetics of brass playing. I understand it better than you do. It doesn't mean I'm smarter than you. It just means in the area of brass music, I've got more knowledge. And friends, can you connect the dots? What Paul is praying for is that your knowledge is getting better and better, so much so that when it comes to the things that you let in your life, you're getting more and more aesthetic. You know what's good and you know what's not so good and you know what's going to help you and you know what's not going to help you. You, cut, you start to govern your life and you let things into your life that you know will help you and you say no to things in your life that you know are not going to help you. Let me give you another example. When I was growing up, my mother would never take me shopping with her. Never. So I used to say, Mom, when you go shopping, could you get us some Fruit Loops? I love Fruit Loops. Mom, could you get us some Lucky Charms? Oh, I, I still love Lucky Charms to this day. Lucky Charms, that, 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 people, that is good stuff. 
And I'd say, Mom, could you, could, could, come on, Mom, get us some Lucky Charms. Get us some, 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 uh, some, some Fruit Loops. I don't know, Fruit Loops. Please, Mom, please, Mom. Well, she would go to the cereal. Let me do what you do. She was there. I was never with her. She wouldn't let me come. She'd get to that cereal aisle, and they have all these bright boxes, you know, Fruit Loops and Count Chocula and Lucky Charms, and she'd go right past them. And she would always bring home oatmeal and granola, tree bark granola. Mom, what are you doing? We don't, Mom. But you know what, friends? You know what my mom knew? My mom, who loved us, knew that Fruit Loops and Lucky Charms are really not all that good for you. Amen, ladies? Really not all that good for you. She knew that that oatmeal and that granola is really what I needed as a, as a growing boy. So she was a judge. And as she walked down that cereal aisle, she was saying, no, that's not good for my family. No, that's not good for my family. Yes, that would be good for my boys. I'm going to get that. She had discernment. She was a judge when it came to cereal. And my friends, what God is asking you to do is to have a love that's governed by the word of God and by your discernment. Oh, what a dynamic that's lacking in the American church. Man, we're just letting anything come along. If the world loves it, it's in the church. The church is all about, well, we want to be like the world. I mean, the, the, that, that music out there appeals to teenagers, so we need to bring that into the church. Well, no, 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 that's not discerning, people. So God is saying through the Apostle Paul, may your love be getting better and better and more discerning as you serve in what you shouldn't be serving. That's Paul's prayer for your church. And friends, let me tell you what happens, okay? I've got five minutes left. Stay with me, okay? Look at the next verse. Let me show you what happens, okay? Look at verse 10. He says there in verse 10, are you with me? Everybody awake? That ye may approve things that are excellent. Why, Paul, why? That ye may be, next word out loud, sincere. Would you look at me, please? It is God's desire, people, that every one of you that are saved in this room tonight be sincere. Every one of you. Children, are you listening? Teens, are you listening? Are you a Christian? God wants you to be sincere. Ladies, men, are you a Christian? God wants you to be sincere. Let me tell you what that word sincere means. That word sincere has a very unique history behind it. And it means to examine something by sunlight, or it can mean without wax. Now, let me tell you what that means. Back in Bible times, people, when you wanted to buy something special, like for a bride, maybe your daughter was getting married, and you wanted to buy her a nice kitchen utensil, something nice for the home. Well, everything back then, people, everything was made out of pottery. And some of these people that worked with pottery were really artisans. They were really good at it. And they could take a really unique piece of clay and they could work it and work it and work it on the potter's wheel so that it was so thin it would be transparent, that, that light would come through. Very expensive. 
I've seen broken glass like this when I was in Israel, where they, it, it just so thin that it was, they made cufflinks out of it. They, that's really transparent. Well, you wanted to buy, maybe you wanted to buy a little, a little teacup or something that was, it, it would be very, very expensive. But when that artisan was making that, that very expensive, I mean, we're talking hours and hours and hours of work and rebaking and rebaking and rebaking, but sometimes there may be a little bit of deficiency in the clay. And with all that work, that as it got more and more thin, a crack would develop. And that artisan would go, oh, no, no, I've spent so much time. And so what they would often do, if they were unscrupulous, they would often just take some wax and they would kind of paint over that crack and made it, kind of make it part of the design and they would hide it and they would sell it for a great amount of money. And the unscrupulous shoplifter, buyer beware, would grab that thing and, oh, it's so beautiful, and they would buy it and they would take it home and they would give it as a gift and later on they'd put some hot tea in there and the thing would start leaking because the wax would melt. You've been had. You've been had. So a good shopper, a good buyer, would look at that little piece of pottery in that store and if they were smart, and some of you would be like this, wouldn't you? If they were smart... They would take that piece of pottery and they would hold it up to the sunlight. They would hold it up to the light to examine to see if there might be some covering by wax. The word sincere, people, means without wax. When you allow sin in your life, sir, you are a crack pot. Lady, when you let sin in your life, you are the opposite of sincere you have cracks. And when your life has cracks in it, you hurt the cause of Christ. You hurt your testimony. Sin will always bring cracks into your life. And what God is asking through the Apostle Paul is this. May your love get stronger and stronger because of what you know about the Word of God and your ability to bring it in with discernment so that your life is pure without cracks, without blemishes. Friends, we're talking about your testimony. How desperately does New Hampshire need Christians who look like it, who live like it, who talk like it, who drink like it, who watch like it, who listen like a Christian? How desperately do we need that? And Paul's prayer for this church would be, oh, believers, may your love abound yet more and more. Not one of you in here, not one of you, should be happy with where you're at spiritually. As G. Campbell Morgan once said, there ought to be an element of dissatisfaction in your heart wanting to get better and better at this thing called Christianity. May God convict your heart. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for a good Wednesday night crowd. Lord, thank you for this verse. Lord, I know that as I'm preaching it, Lord, I'm convicted myself. Lord, how desperately you want the Community Baptist Church to be a church that doesn't have cracks, that has saints that are pure, that hate sin, that have lives that are reflective of the truth that they believe. Lord, we realize, we're told in the Scripture, as a matter of fact, but we realize that we are often the only gospel that people will ever read.
by the way we live. And God, I pray that you would fill Community Baptist Church with believers who just want to grow. They want their love to abound. Their ability to serve you gets better and better and greater and greater. And their ability to serve each other and not be so self-focused would get bigger and bigger. Lord, I pray that that's the prayer of hearts here tonight. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking. Please, I'm the only one looking. I'd like you to answer me if you'd be so kind by slipping up your hand should you feel led. But I wonder if you're here tonight and you'd be willing to say, Brother Mike, I realize tonight I've got cracks in my life. And as you've been talking, especially here towards the end, and I've been taking inventory, I've got some work to do. I've got some work to do. And God has touched my heart tonight, and I'm sitting here convicted. Would you please pray for me in closing? I needed this tonight, and I want God to have his way in my life. Please pray for me in closing. Here's my hand. Would you just quietly slip it up high enough that I could see it? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, many of you. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Let's stand together. Could we please? Let's stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I've seen a gob of hands, and I thank you, Lord, for their softness. Thank you for their willingness to pay attention to this preacher tonight. But Lord, more importantly, thank you for their ability to learn the Word of God and to apply it to their own lives. Lord, thank you for their humility and their willingness to raise a hand. Lord, I know that that went against human nature, that it went against the flesh. God, would you bless them for it. But, Lord, far more important than slipping that hand in the air is what's happening in the heart. And, God, I pray that you would fill this church with teenagers, with adults that are desirous to have love that's growing, a love for you, a love for your word, a love for each other. And, God, I pray that you'd have your will in their lives, and may they allow you to have your will in their lives. Lord, may they become better and better at their experiential knowledge as they apply the word of God to the way they live. Lord, I pray this all in thy name tonight. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Your heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to take one moment as Pat plays a, a verse of invitation song and if God's speaking to your heart tonight I'd encourage you to do business with him that means that you kneel at your seat or you make an altar right here up at the front
you so much. You can look up this way. I want to encourage you, if God has uh, spoken to you this week, I, I, would, I would encourage you to just put a date in the margin of your Bible um, and just write that down. God spoke to me about this. Um, right there where uh, our messages have been, whether it's uh, Philippians or whether it's in Luke, um, Ephesians 4, um, just write down that God spoke to your heart. It's a good thing to do. Um, and uh, I spoke to it the other night. It's, it's just like the children of Israel going into the promised land. They set those 12 stones beside the river so that they could see it and be reminded of how great their God is and the work that he did. And uh, I, I would encourage you to do that. And then share it with somebody. Um, share it with somebody uh, here in the church family. Share it on Sunday with somebody that you see. Um, it, it's, it's just one of those things that puts a marker in our life and reminds us that God is at work. So uh, please do that. And then um, let's continue. Uh, let's, God has done some wonderful things over these past uh, four days. And let's continue in those things. And uh, let's uh, follow hard after God. Let's uh, go into this year excited about what he has done this week and take that into our ministry throughout the year. And uh, let's seek God's blessing as he gives us vision and strength um, to do what he has for us to do. All right. Uh, now, enjoy the rest of your week. And uh, I look forward to us being together on Sunday um, and, and uh, being together as a church family. Um, but uh, do enjoy a little bit of sweet treat after we're dismissed. Um, I, I'm not sure where it's going to be. Where, where's out in the foyer? Somewhere out in the foyer. You have to look for it. Um, it shouldn't be too hard to find. Um, but uh, do make sure that you take one and, and uh, have a happy Valentine's Day on us. I do want to say uh, this and, and, again, offer personal thanks uh, to uh, Pastor Nason and Pat. Um, and uh, uh, just to say thank you to Pat uh, for what she did this week in uh, coming and ministering. And, and I know they don't do that for recognition. Uh, they love the Lord, and they have served the Lord faithfully here for so many years. But I did want to give Pat a thank you. And uh, she sacrificed her Valentine's Day. <laughs> and uh, he took her out to eat, but it was at... Um, it was at the Williams restaurant, and so we want them to be able to go out to eat for Valentine's Day at another restaurant that they like. So, um, but uh, do uh, please thank them for that, and it's it's always good to have them here with us. But uh, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer, and uh, grab your sweet treat on the way out. Lord, we thank you so much for your work this week. Lord, what a a wonderful time to sit and have our hearts confronted and challenged by your word and your spirit. Now, Lord, I pray that we would take these things and that this wouldn't, wouldn't be a, a flash uh, in the pan, but, Lord, that this would be a, a flame that is kindled in our heart that we keep burning. Lord, that you would continue these decisions that have been made this week 
And, and Lord, that you would grow us. Father, that we, we would be a church that is sincere. A church that, that loves in the Bible way. Lord, may we be a church that pleases you. Father, may when people walk in here, they see something different. Not, not because, because of, of the efforts that we have done, but because Jesus has changed us. Lord, I pray that you would give us a wonderful evening uh, tonight. Lord, that you would give us a good week, this uh, rest of this week, and we look forward to being back together in fellowship again on Sunday. Lord, be glorified in our lives and all that we do. May, may we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.